session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Jalakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let's get to the books of the week. The book of the week for this week is Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think Deeply Again. I've had this book for a a few months, haven't focused on it yet, but I will this week. Uh, I do like this topic because I do think we've um, moved more and more away from sustaining our focus, concentration, attention. Actually, when I started the books of the week, um, that's like six years ago, I realized I had lost a lot of my own ability to stay focused for a long period of time. We're so used to now getting exposed to short videos, audios, even, um, you know, people now when you see an article, sometimes it'll say, how long does it take to read the article? Because they know that if it feels long or people think it might be too long, they might not read it or to have an estimation on that. So look forward to reading that book, looking at how things have changed when it comes to things like our focus and our attention, but what we can do to try to get some of that back. The book of the week from last week that I'll talk about tonight actually in some ways can relate to what we focus on and what we focus our attention on. Uh, The book is Awe, A-W-E, Awe by Dacher Keltner. Awe, the new science of everyday wonder and how it can transform your life. And so um, Dr. Keltner is a professor at UC Berkeley. He is also the faculty director of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center. And so uh, historically, one of the things that you would hear about psychology, which is very true, especially the clinical psychology, is that the focus was solely on negative things, illnesses, and psychiatric conditions, but less focus on the positive things. And so then there was a movement of positive psychology looking at things like happiness and joy and what makes us happy. Um, But emotions are these complex things that we try to define and describe, and even the words we put on them can affect how we uh, experience them. And so as he points out uh, in the book, Awe was not something that was studied much until recent, maybe few decades at the most, that people have looked at this emotion or, and this experience that we have. And so when we hear that term, as I said when I announced it last week and I say it today, when I say awe, it could be even hard to understand what I'm saying, A-W-E. And this feeling of awe, and I'll talk about the definition um, he gives doing the research on this uh, this phenomenon, this uh, emotional experience. Um, but it's the sense you've probably had, and it often does leave us saying something like awe, but saying like wow or ooing or awing when we have these experiences. And in this book, he defines what it is. He also 
um, outlines the eight different main categories of ways we experience this emotion, and then also points to how we can try to find more awe in our life every day. Because as I was saying, borrowing from the title for this week's book about focus, that what we focus on and how we focus on things can affect our experience or our lack of experiencing awe. So here early in the book, he gives a definition for what awe is. And I'll read that for you now. Awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your current understanding of the world. Awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your current understanding of the world. And so there are eight categories that he has come up with doing studies on this, um, which covered 26 different countries. And I think they had something like 2,600 different narratives where people shared their experiences of being in awe and experiencing this feeling. And when I thought of what would be the most common one, I thought of nature, which is one of them, where you see a, uh, a waterfall or a mountain and you experience this feeling of awe, like you're like, wow, this is incredible. This is something amazing. It makes you transcend what you thought you knew about the world or what you understood of the world. Um, but surprisingly, or maybe it won't be a surprise to you, but the most common uh, experience of awe and the most common thing to give people that feeling was actually other people and something he calls moral beauty. So that was the first and most common reason that people experienced awe. So seeing other people's courage, kindness, strength, or overcoming, like going through something challenging. And I, I when I saw that, I did recognize, okay, that is something I have experienced frequently and you see it a lot you see inspirational stories or you just see even a small act of kindness but done in such a loving way i've had a few experiences like that being on both sides receiving the kindness um, and also giving the kindness in ways that was very very powerful in this way and sometimes actually when i've received the kindness that was so uh, awe-inspiring in myself or was so uh, impactful i recognize that it was an act that maybe didn't seem so major, the person who did it might not even realize the kind of impact it had on me. But we can see that our kindness can move the person, of course, we are helping and showing that kindness too, but others can experience this sense of awe just by witnessing it. So that was interesting to see that the first and most common reason that people have this feeling of awe was actually other people. Um, I thought that was quite interesting. The second one is something that he calls what well, he borrows a term from French sociologist Emile Durkheim, and that is collective effervescence. And this is also something I've definitely experienced, maybe you've experienced it yourself, where it's being in lost in a crowd or a ceremony or some kind of experience. So it could be sports celebrations, it could be, you know, he has your bar and bat mitzvahs, a funeral, it could be a variety of things, but being part of a group. Uh, I've experienced it in many places. It can even happen, let's say, if you're singing with others. And so um, there are these distinct categories, but really we see that they can overlap because music is one of them that I'll also get to. Uh, I've definitely experienced it at sport games when you're part of a crowd and everyone's cheering together or especially singing a song together for the team. Um, those are pretty incredible moments. And so this would be this feeling of awe when you're lost 
and you you're part of this bigger thing, but it's this collective effervescence. So the third wonder, so he calls these the different the eight wonders of life that can give us the sense of awe. The third wonder is the one I mentioned I thought would be most common, and that is nature. And so it can be things like earthquakes or, or thunderstorms, but it could also be beautiful things like seeing uh, a wonderful mountain or landscape or waterfall. Um, or if sometimes when you're by the ocean, just you hear the sound of the ocean or the vastness of the ocean. You know, sometimes it could be, you can look and you might have a, a eerie feeling too. And you look, especially if it's at night and there's a, it's just blackness and you keep looking and you see that it feels like it goes on forever. That can give you a sense of awe. Um, and as I mentioned there, that that feeling could be a bit negative or f- make you feel a little bit afraid. He did talk about how some people's experiences, maybe less than, I think it was around a quarter of them, might have had a negative experience or feeling or a fear with it. But really what he's talking about, or um, a lot of the focus is on awe in this positive sense of feeling something uh, good. It's a good feeling. It's almost like a warm feeling rather than a cold shudder. He also talks about the physiological um, sensations or things we might experience. Rather than having that cold feeling, it can feel quite warm. So even when it comes to nature, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be afraid of what you're seeing. Somehow you feel like you're part of something bigger. Or you see that bigger um, vastness that is outside of you, bigger than you, but you might even feel at one with this. So nature is a big one that he, he talks about here as people experiencing awe, one of the wonders of life. Um, the fourth one was music. And this one I can definitely relate to because I think music moves everyone. I definitely know that it moves me a lot. I can feel this an experience of uh, a song taking me to different places, feeling lost in it, sometimes feeling the beauty of a voice or a melody or the way things come together can be quite um, awe-inspiring and make you feel that. And as I mentioned, to me, you can find overlap with these categories because if you're chanting with a group to me that would include part of collective effervescence but also it would be musical as well or if you're at a concert even um, hearing the music or you've maybe been to a concert where everyone is singing along and there's this feeling of collective effervescence so to me that would be music but also the group and the collective effervescence giving you that sense of awe but music is a very common experience that people around the world share as being something that gave them this awe experience. So that's um, the fifth one, or the fourth one, pardon me. The fifth one is kind of a surprise to me when I when I said it, especially compared to some of the other ones, but it's visual design. And so um, it, he includes things, and again, this is where the overlap, because we think of art, even things like paintings can be that, just the way you look at a painting, but also things like dams, like they can be such great structures that we might see. Or he shares how someone was amazed by this machine that was so precise that it gave them awe seeing how perfectly it worked so this was a category that to me was i think the most surprising of of all of them was visual design but as he explains it it made more sense to see how it might give people that type of uh, experience the sixth one is one that we might think of as quite common also or might be what comes to mind for many people are spiritual or religious types of experiences or awe. So this was um, the sixth one. And even in religious countries, he actually said it wasn't one of the more common ones. You might think that it would be, 
but so it was not the most common one, but so we can imagine that these religious types of experiences can give people um, a sense of awe, which makes sense. Again, we often think of awe as being something spiritual, and that, of course, is a term that could be difficult to define, but often it's defined as something being part of something bigger or outside of yourself or connecting to something bigger or outside of yourself. So we can understand that, that might give us a, a sense of awe or, or an experience of awe. The eighth wonder of life is life and death. And so um, this part of the, or the life cycle can give people this sense of awe, both life, seeing a baby, seeing birth and yesterday, um, I had the, the pleasure of visiting my friends Vahid and Chelsea, and they just uh, about, I think, 13 weeks ago, so just like two and a half months ago, uh, have Chelsea gave birth to two twins, Zane and Georgia, boy and a girl, quite lovely. And seeing them, holding them, it, it is awe-inspiring. They're so small and fragile, yet you see them being these living beings that are, are so also uh, capable of of obviously surviving living but doing so much as well and recognizing they will keep growing and unfolding and um, that their capacities and abilities will will change and, and they will grow so I did have that experience of awe at times holding them and 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 seeing these two little beings in my arms um, did give me that that sense and so that life and even he shares stories of people witnessing a birth or the birth of a child or a grandchild and having this sense of awe but also, of course, the other side of the life cycle can give us those experiences as well, death. And people who have seen someone who approaches death or or actually being with them when they die can give people this sense of awe. And throughout the book, he shares the sad story of his own life, which happened, um, I think, several years before writing this book, losing his brother Rolf to colon cancer when his brother was 55 years old. And practically, and I think it's in every chapter, but regularly his brother comes up and um, this very close relationship they seem to have had, I think they were less than two years apart. And so they went through so much together and so many experiences together. And he shares things he experienced with him, but also ways that things in the world would remind him of his brother. And that was also at times giving him a sense of awe this experience of, of connecting with him again. And so people also have those experiences in this life and death type of category of connecting or feeling connected to someone who has passed, who is no longer physically with them, but having that type of connection with them. Um, but it's uh, very heartbreaking, but I think it adds a lot to the book that he shares that vulnerability of his personal experience of loss and how that relates to his own experiences of awe, but we might... Um, gain some insights and lessons from those. So it's a sad part of the book that you keep, uh, you encounter this pain that he experienced, but it's also, I think, does show the beauty of this emotion that overall is a, I think, a pleasant feeling, but sometimes it has a, um, it reminds you of the book Bittersweet by Susan Cain, that sometimes it could be bittersweet types of experiences that might give us this sense of awe. So life and death can be a big source of uh, awe and having people experience it. And the last one, the eighth 
wonder of the world out of these eight or eighth wonder of life, I should say, um, that he lists is epiphanies. And so having these sudden understandings or realizations is the eighth wonder of life, um, where it could be a philosophical or scientific insight or a metaphysical or personal realization, math, different types of things. So people at times would have these realizations and even share stories from Darwin um, I'm trying to becoming aware of evolution or this theory of, of evolution and some of his experiences that highlight this. And that's the eighth wonder of life. So after the break, I've, these are the, really the main theme of the book is in going through these eight different wonders of life and, and how they can come about and how we experience them. But I'll continue the discussion of the book and some thoughts on it uh, because I did find it quite insightful and interesting to read and it just came out so i would highly recommend it the book is awe by dacker keltner let's go to a commercial break we'll be right back welcome back continuing the discussion on the book awe by dacker keltner awe the new science of everyday wonder and how it can transform your life um, every time I say the title, I feel like it sounds like I'm at the, the dentist or doctor's office saying, ah, oh. but yes, it does sometimes make us even say those words like, ooh, or ah, oh, as I mentioned. And so, uh, a point I wanted to make an interesting, um, point or interesting, uh, concept he introduced or co- uh, something I didn't know about was when we think of awe, and this is something we experience commonly, we, we think of the human emotions and we think of ourselves as so different from all other beings and sometimes this human exceptionalism can make us misunderstand or exaggerate things about being human that make us so different from other animals and we might overlook what they might emotionally experience. And if we believe in evolution, I mentioned Darwin and how his theory of evolution, we would understand that we evolved from other beings. So of course we could be different from them. We also would keep in mind that there could be a lot of similarities or the um, predecessors of some of our experiences, even if we think they're only human, would likely be in other animals as well, especially primates. And so he shared this observation by Jane Goodall of what she calls waterfall display or waterfall displays that are done by um, chimpanzees, I believe. Yeah, chimpanzees. And so I actually saw the video of this. And so in the waterfall display, I can express what it says here. So a solitary chimpanzee, so they're alone, approaches a roaring waterfall. He pilo erects, fluffs up his fur. So pilo erection is when you um, kind of want to get goosebumps and your hairs stand on end. That's what that term means. He moves in swaying rhythmic motions, swinging from one branch to another near the rushing river. He pushes large rocks into the river. At the end of this dance, he sits quietly, absorbed in the flow of water. And so I saw the video and saw this where they um, will swing on trees in a bit in a rhythmic way and then throwing rocks into the river and then stare for a little while. Now, we can, of course, say this is, uh, we know what they're feeling either way, that it is awe or it's not awe or what they're experiencing. It also reminds me in another book, I think it was by um, Augustine Fuentes, Why We Believe. Um, he was talking about they'd put, I think, like kind of like a GoPro, like a camera on top of, I think it was either a gorilla or a chimpanzee. And it showed that at one point 
she was crossing some kind of a passage, but she looked back a few times. It almost seemed like to enjoy a view. I don't remember exactly the details, but there was something that was quite fascinating that it was as if it was enjoying the view. There's no real, we can say, functional reason for it to turn back and look at this view. Um, was it the beauty of it? Did Do other animals enjoy beauty? Was it just the uh, some other coincidence? Maybe, but it, it seems interesting to see that maybe there's something more to it than what we think of as quote-unquote functional. There might be more than meets the eye. So anyway, that was an interesting um, point made in the book, and it made me want to go on YouTube and watch videos, and you can see some of, of chimpanzees doing this what Jane Goodall calls a waterfall display. So is it uniquely human? Hard to say, but this book, of course, is looking at those that we, people we can ask of what their experience is. And so it's it's looking at humans and our experience of this emotion of awe. And so, as I mentioned, awe is about connecting to this vast, or would we recognize there's something more vast than ourselves and that experience we have of it, that something larger than ourself exists. And so what what might that mean, or how can we think about this, this emotion? Because it is quite interesting thing. Feelings, emotions tend to have some kind of function. I was just talking about, we might think it has no function, but what does it do? And, and there are, are these ways that it brings us together with um, one another. But to again, read that definition of awe. Awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your current understanding of the world. So I kind of emphasize that word, transcend. And one of the, the themes we notice when we look at these experiences of awe is that people often are feeling connected to something bigger. He also does share about psychedelic experiences that people have. That I think that was maybe in the, the spiritual chapter. I forgot which chapter it was in. But people often, when they have a psychedelic experience, one of the beautiful feelings they have is this ego death and the sense of being interconnected with the world, like they are part of something bigger or recognizing that there is no separation between you and the universe and other beings. And rather than this being scary, you hear the word death, ego death can sound like a scary term or something that'd be scary to experience. But people usually feel a very peaceful experience when they have this sense of being one with the rest of the world and being interconnected. And so that's something I think um, might be related to this. And he does talk about, for example, we have something called the default mode network in our, it's kind of like a system in our brain that is what's running most of the time. It's called default mode network because they noticed that it would be when they had people do a task, for example, okay, we want you to look at the screen and count the the crosses or something like that. And then they'd say in between, you know, don't think of anything or, or take a break and then come back. They noticed that always in those t- in-betweens, the, it seemed like the brain would switch to some other, some parts of the brains would get active. So they, they call that the default mode network. And it does seem like this relates also to things like self-consciousness and thinking of where we stand in the world or what we need to do with people in our relationships and things of that sort, some kind of uh, a self-thinking type of an experience. And so when people have psychedelic experiences and they look at the brain, what they often find is that the default mode network is more silent or turns off. And so it seems like that self-consciousness goes away, which might make sense of why we'll, we'll experience an ego death. And so 
I was thinking about this and what does it all mean? I guess that itself is a deep question that I won't be able to, to answer fully and might be related to an experience of awe when you have an epiphany related to something like this. And so I might have had, I wouldn't say full epiphany, but just some thoughts reflecting on on this theme. And when we think of what life even is, and if maybe, I don't know if it was five weeks ago, six weeks ago, I read the book, What is Life? by Paul Nurse, because we think, you know, I mentioned life and death, and we think of life, we, we think we know what it is, but really then when we try to define it, we see it's a little bit more complicated than we might think of really defining what makes something alive or means it has life and what is something that doesn't have life. And even we think of how life was formed or what does it mean that it was formed, really it's like there was these chemicals and and molecules and things um, on Earth, and of course it happens on another planet or somewhere else, it would happen there, and then it becomes in a a packet that becomes life. When we think of something being alive, it's like these different forces or these different chemicals and things coming together and being in one packet and package that could then survive and then also reproduce. That's sometimes what we think about. But really, this fundamental component of what life is, is this separating from the rest of the world or has to be somehow separate. When we think of how you know, if I'm showing you there's three dogs, it's because you see them having encased in their, you know, their skin. That's where this one ends and the next one begins. And so there's this sense that that's what makes us alive or what makes us have life. But we can see that that also is a bit of a misunderstanding where it's a perspective on what we experience that we're so separate from everything else. We are really made up of all the cells and all the rest of the 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 atoms that make up the universe. Sometimes people say where we are stardust or these kinds of things of saying that means we're amazing. And yeah, you could think of it that way for sure. I also think it can give you this perspective that we are really interconnected with the universe in that way, that the way we think of ourselves as so separate is sometimes uh, a part of an illusion. And so I've also talked about this before several authors in the books I've discussed and several that I've just read their thoughts think of how this sense of self that we have can be an illusion or at least partially an illusion how strongly we can be so preoccupied with ourself and our standing and what's happening to us and what's going on and of course any being if it's going to stay alive has to focus on self-preservation and and getting its needs met so we can understand some sense of being focused on the self, but what we can also recognize is that so much of how we suffer is too much of a feeling of the self or being too vigilant and focused on that sense of self. And related to that, the sense of self being so strong that you feel disconnected from others, even other humans, but also the world at large and the, and the universe where you feel disconnected from it, that tends to make us feel bad. Even last week, I talked about the benefits of uh, community service and volunteering. And so it's because we are no longer having the lens towards ourselves in a negative way, we positively turn that light outside and we feel much better. And so I think something that happens in these experiences of awe, which it's not just about the psychedelic experiences, but these other things where we see the world as bigger than us or see our, the, the, the interconnectedness of certain things, it can make us feel good because some of that sense of self 
is turned down at least, if not completely turned off. And that can feel really good, that we're part of something bigger. Even when people who have psychedelic experiences, they've done some with people who are having some kind of terminal illness, terminal cancer, that they might not have much left to live. And often they found that people's death anxiety, their fear of dying, went to zero, practically disappeared. They were no longer afraid of death. And I think when we consider ego death, if your ego has already died in that way, you're not as afraid of death because you see this obsession of making sure I survive and what happens to me and my genes passing uh, or whatever else might be related to that, that obsession becomes less intense, less important, and you realize that doesn't really matter or doesn't matter the way it could feel like it's the only thing that matters or the most important thing. Even it's maybe this understanding that what we can experience, we want to experience to the best that we can as long as we can, and then that's it. But we don't have to be so obsessed or so afraid of no longer existing. It it can make sense if you were to program something and you wanted it to make sure that it survived and it keeps passing itself on, it could make sense for it to have some sense of death, anxiety, fear of death. So if we think of our ancestors in some kind of simplified way where some of them really were afraid of death and didn't want it to happen for sure, and there's other ones in a more kind of hippie way that were just like, oh, it doesn't matter if I live or you live, uh, or if none of us live, it's fine. We just experience this you know, experience as long as we can. Probably the ones that were afraid of death would be more likely to live. So we can see that it does contribute to some... Um, basic survival to be so preoccupied with ourself even if we think of socially how we're so preoccupied what do people think of me how do I look how will people judge me if I you know walk into this place or do that or if I try something new or if I say this thing or a million ways that we might be afraid of getting judged by other people and then sometimes when we zoom out we realize how meaningless those things are you know right now if you think of okay it's 10 years ago and you walked to some party and you were worried what people thought of your shirt, you're going to be like, who the heck cares, right? You're like, why would I care about that right now? Or it's so insignificant. Why did I let that ruin my night? You know, maybe you went in and you didn't have a good time or you left early or it was like a dance party, but you were self-conscious. And so you didn't enjoy yourself dancing and you, you know, because you were so preoccupied with how you looked, let's say. And, and you had that experience. Now, when you think about it, it seems silly. But then if we're in that experience again, if we don't uh, work on these things or become more aware of it, or at least likely even still will experience it, but we'll experience that same thing. We'll go into that a new place and be like, I wonder how I look or what happened or what they thought of me or what that experience was like. So we can see that in a way, having this fear of death and being preoccupied with the self does allow us to keep staying alive, but it doesn't necessarily let us live as well. So it might keep us alive, but doesn't mean you live and enjoy your life in the ways that you could. And so we are these packets of of cells and packets of different chemicals and molecules that make us who we are, but really those are the same ones that make up the rest of the world. And we've just found, you know, life found a way to, to become what it is and then to become more and more complex. But this feeling and this experience we have of ourselves being so separate, maybe that's something when we have these feelings of awe, it might be not that we are being fooled, but we're actually getting closer to the reality, which is that we aren't so separate, that we are part of something far more vast than ourselves. 
And rather than that being scary that you're losing yourself, you're actually gaining this sense of peace that you're at one with the world, that you're interconnected. I, I didn't have a psychedelic before the show, I promise, but I know some of what I'm saying might come off that way, that I, I'm feeling this sense of interconnectedness, but I, I'm, I can't say I'm even feeling it in the sense of right now I'm at this kind of peace, but I can recognize it as being um, a, a meaningful place to go towards, that if we experience our life as not just I am so important and I have to make sure I stay in this certain way and my life goes this way, I do these things and I have to be so preoccupied with what everyone thinks, we can get from an evolutionary sense how that would happen that we get so preoccupied. But as I said, this sense might come from the space of trying to keep us alive, but it might not actually let us live. Uh, so I might continue on this after the break, but we are at a commercial break. Um, hope in the meantime you will realize how connected you are to everything and everyone around you. We'll be back in a few minutes. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So I've been talking about the book Awe by Dacker Keltner, and I, I do highly recommend the book. It's this emotion that we, we, you know, even when you think of the different feelings or emotions, it's not one that comes to mind. Even that's why every time I say it, I have to spell it out and, and uh, make sure you know what I'm talking about because it's not something that we tend to uh, think think of when we think of the emotions. And I'd seen it come up m more lately in several different books, this emotion feeling of awe and how important it is. And um, as I mentioned, he also talks about, and it's in the subtitle of the book, The Everyday Wonder, The New Science of Everyday Wonder, and how it can transform your life. And uh, he talks about how we are in some ways awe-deprived or removing away from that. Um, and I didn't really intend for this, but as I mentioned, the next book is about focused or stolen focus and how we're not uh, concentrating or paying attention in the ways that we maybe did, or it's harder to do so. And I think it very much is related in the sense of it really does depend on what we attend to. Because really every day we probably walk by, drive by, go around, so many things that we could experience awe if we took the time to, to focus on them, uh, but we just don't. So I think this this uh, book does a good job of describing what awe is, the different things that might bring up awe, but also gets into noticing the awe in our everyday life and how uh, he talks about benefits it can have on our physical and mental health when we experience awe, even with children in um under-resourced areas and how it can help them if they experience more on their life and how for individuals it can help for their physical and mental health of all whatever backgrounds we are in. And so uh, it is about our perspective and our way of looking at the world and the world around us and our experiences. And so I at times have shared about my experiences reading um, these books and this one I read in a shorter amount of time because I did the show Friday and did a book, and I wanted to do this one today just to kind of get back on the tr on track of doing the books on Monday nights. Um, and so I read this in about four days. And so the first night after my show, actually, I went and started reading this book. And so I went to a coffee shop, um, and it was an interesting experience I had reading this book at the beginning because I was in the coffee shop and there was kind of music. And so I put in um, headphones that were noise-canceling, and then there was still some noise, so I played some 
um, instrumental type of music. It was like made actually for, for sleep or relaxation. And so I was reading about this book on awe and having this kind of awe experience or this, it seems very relevant. It was like this music playing, but also I couldn't hear anything else because the no- the the headphones um, were, were noise canceling. This is not a, a commercial for those headphones. They were AirPods. So get, get yourself a pair of those if you want, but they were, um, you know, I was really trans transplanted to this place. I was like in this different space and then I was having a, uh, a roomy latte. None of this, um, is being sponsored, but the, at earth cafe here in, in LA area, they have something called a roomy latte. And I thought that'd be a good drink to have while I'm reading this book on awe and, you know, transported to this different place uh, as I'm not hearing anything around me. And it was actually this nice experience because, and he's talking about things that are at times very moving. Um, And so I had this experience of awe, but I did focus on these days as much as I could. I mentioned when I saw my friend's babies, I actually realized that sense of awe. And I even talked to them about um, uh, the book a bit and what that experience can be like. And I also um, went for a walk today and I just realized I there's trees that I walk by every time I go on my walks around my neighborhood that I don't notice. And if I look at just one of them and focus, I likely will experience this feeling of awe. So I did pause and look at some of the, the trees around me or even looked up and saw uh, there was a few palm trees and they're quite beautiful and seeing how large they are and how incredible that there's this these incredible things right around me. And so what's also interesting about this experience of awe is that, of course, it can be these really big things like a huge, I just said, these trees, or you might see a huge landscape, a Grand Canyon, things like that. But also people can experience awe focusing on the microscopic. And so there was even this this uh, artist, I believe they were an artist, and they um, made this book or series of different tiers that they experienced getting those tears, then putting them under a microscope and, and that they would look slightly different based on if they were, let's say, tears of of joy, of grief, of anger. And she had, I think, like a hundred different types of tears, very specific types of of experiences. And then she, she put them under the microscope and, and that was also awe-inspiring for many people to, to focus like that. And so, yes, it could be looking at these big things, looking for these these big experiences, which I think could be nice. For example, that collective effervescence um, going to, let's say, a concert or a sporting event is not something you're going to do all the time. Um, so there's these big things we can look at, but also the little things and realizing that there's so much around us that we overlook, but that is quite remarkable about our world and our experience and, and everything and even the people we, we encounter. And so in the books I mentioned, he shares the tragic story of losing his brother far too young and someone who was so close to him and, and how much he uh, valued him and his life and his relationship with him and their experiences together. But we could see that he also was in awe of who he was. And as I mentioned, the most common thing that people caused them awe, the most common of these eight wonders of life that he's described, was moral beauty and what other people do. And I thought that was that was really beautiful. And um, I've definitely met people who, just from their kindness, I was moved or inspired or you felt something very special. Even a hero of mine, 
uh, is Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers. So if you grew up, I think, especially in the United States, I don't know if it was also broadcast in other countries, but if you were an 80s or 90s kid, you probably saw Mr. Rogers and his show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And I always really admired him as a kid. I enjoyed the show. I remember watching it uh, and also tying some themes together when you talk about uh, focus and stolen focus. His show, he actually said he made it slow moving. Uh, I felt my my tone, uh, my speed of speech slow down a bit there too. But he made it a slow moving show. He he saw what was happening with cartoons and things that children were entertainment that was being made for children, but that he thought was actually not good for them. That was very flashy and fast moving and was constantly having stimulation. And he didn't think that was good. And he wanted his show to be different from that and actually to to slow things down. And I actually uh, remember he, he did a segment or one part of his show where he said, this is how long a minute is. And it was just a ticking clock going a minute and there was no other um, talking or anything else happening, but just showing this is how long a minute is, you know, how time might feel for a child or that this is how time goes by. I thought that was quite interesting, but think of that compared to what we expect now where every two seconds we better be entertained or we're going to scroll to the next video or... Um, turn off whatever it is we're watching but you know he just had one minute of just silence and and looking at a clock but he made his show slow intentionally and also in his experience or interactions with people you would see I felt like he would have awe or that this level of reverence for everyone he would interact with and every child you'd see him interact with and so the reason why actually I admire him so much is because I feel that he did so much, inspired so many people, made so many positive changes, but all while being very kind, or that was his way of being with others. It wasn't that he was aggressive or rough or had to try to get his way a certain way by being overtly forceful. He definitely seems to have strong values, and what doesn't mean he was not strong in that way, but he was not forceful in the way of uh, being aggressive, and I really appreciate and respect that about him, and and even admire that, and strive to have that in myself, because I think to achieve so much while doing it with love and kindness is quite remarkable. He gave a speech to, I think it was in Congress, he was testifying or he was speaking, asking for more funding for PBS, I believe, the uh, public broadcasting station, I think it's called, who. Um, had his show on there and also things like Sesame Street and other educational types of shows for children. And I recommend you go watch that speech. It's a few minutes long of him just explaining what his show is about and why he thinks it's important. But you just hear him with a lot of conviction, but it's so much love and kindness in describing why what he thinks they're doing is so important and how uh, children would benefit from it. And the, the member of Congress who usually they're trying to act very calm and, and detached and, you know, dispassionate or not showing a lot of emotion. He all, of, you know, you could see he's moved and already says, I, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't get the funding. But so um, I really did not anticipate to talk about Mr. Rogers. If you do listen to the show, you might realize that I have some themes, but not exactly uh, any kind of script. Um, but I'm very much, when I thought of moral beauty, I was really moved by that part and realized that is, that is quite beautiful. And we do notice how much we can be 
um, inspired by others and you have this sense of awe when we see people's courage. Even I've seen, um, I've been definitely felt this sense of awe seeing the people of Iran and the courage they've displayed in what they're doing and fighting for themselves, but of course fighting for one another and for others and even sacrificing themselves for others. And so I think you've probably without, maybe you didn't label it as awe if you um, just felt inspired and motivated, but you probably felt this experience of awe seeing what people have been doing in Iran or also, uh, sadly, I think there was two more earthquakes in the Turkey-Syria area today um, or just recently, uh, seeing the, the people helping the recovery. I definitely felt this experience of awe, seeing people looking through the rubble for days, just hoping to find more survivors. And then, of course, uh, the touching videos, seeing someone discovered and found. There was one of a, a baby who was found, I think, over three days after the earthquake. And just, you know, how just seeing that uh, sweet baby, it's just a very awe-inspiring moment, but seeing people's courage was incredible. And so I say this for all of us to remember, let's, uh, not just because we want to inspire others, but to recognize that beauty there, that, that moral beauty that we all can display, whether it's seen or not seen, but to strive to be that higher part of ourself in expressing that, and also in recognizing and looking forward in other people as well. Actually, I think, uh, Mr. Rogers, he would say that his mom would tell him, anytime you see like a tragedy, look for the people that are helping. There's always people that are helping. And he became one of those helpers himself. And I think we all can be that and strive for that also. All right, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. A big thank you to Ghazali here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Olakwi, Zan Zendegi Azadi. 